please follow along as I read you Jesus' message from the Sermon on the Mount of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard the law that says the punishment must, must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, you are our rock and our redeemer, our shield and our strong tower. Help us to anchor ourselves in you. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Your mercies are new every morning. Teach us, Lord, to walk in your ways and to listen to your voice. As your people, we've gathered here this morning to express our adoration of you through our worship. May we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Keep our feet from stumbling and our mind from wandering into distractions that keep us from wholehearted devotion to you. This morning, Father, we pray for those who are in need, for those who are struggling with the coronavirus and other illnesses. We pray that you would protect them, help them to recover their strength and their health. We pray for others who might be struggling with emotional, physical, spiritual issues. We pray that you would be near to them, and that they would know that you are their help and their strength. We pray for our nation. Father, we pray that there would be godliness and righteousness. We pray for unity. We pray for good government. We pray for those who are in government that you would guide them and give them wisdom. We pray for peace on earth as we think of the uh, rumors of war that are swirling around. We pray, Father, that you would just protect and keep the world from uh, war and, and conflict. We pray for the city of Ephrata, for our neighbors, and friends who need to hear the good news and know that 
Jesus loves them and cares for them. We pray for Grace Point Church. As we move through the times of transition, may we remember and rejoice in the blessings that you've given to us in the past. May we be very aware that you are present with us today. And may we embrace what you're calling us to be in the future. Father, this morning we need to hear your voice. May your indwelling spirit open your word to us. May our hearts be open and receptive to what you have for us. Help us to obey that which we hear from you. And I pray, Father, that you would guide my words and my thoughts this morning as I share from your word that what I say might be honoring and pleasing to you and directed by your spirit. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series of messages on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this morning we're looking at chapter 5, verses 38 through the end of the fifth chapter. And we're looking at two more of the uh, statements where Jesus says, You've heard that it was said. And then he re references an Old Testament law. And then he says, but I say to you, and he expands and broadens our perspective on what we ought to understand. The reason for looking at the Sermon on the Mount is that it helps us to understand what authentic Christian living looks like. And when we have authentic Christian living, it makes an impact on the world. Because they begin to look at us and say, something is different. What is it that causes you to live in the way that you do? And when the world sees genuine Christian contact, uh, conduct, it will be a great apologetic, a great defense, a great statement about the importance of the Christian faith. This weekend, I attended the weekend in the Word at our Redeemer's Church, and in that uh, Jim Edwards spoke, and he used three words from the scriptures that are common words, and one of them that he looked at was the word love. And he said that, uh, you know, we ought to look at the word love and the commands from scripture, and one like the one we're going to look at this morning, not so much as an ideal that is unattainable, but as a reality that Jesus really calls us to live out. To love your enemies? Ooh, that's a challenge. But as Jim Edwards said it, uh, yesterday morning, we serve a loving Heavenly Father. And he wouldn't ask his kids to do something that they are unable to do. He loves us too much to do that. But he's called us to live a life of love and we're going to look at that this morning. But it is attainable. Why? Because not only does Jesus offer us the words of direction of telling us to love our neighbor, but he is more than that. He's not a simply a teacher. He is our Savior, and that makes all the difference. Oswald Chambers said, 
when we come to the New Testament interpretation of our Lord, we find not a teacher. We find he is a savior. We find that his teaching is but a statement of the kind of life we will live when we have let him remake us by means of his cross and by the incoming of the Spirit of God. You remember as we've gone through this, I said that the Beatitudes are basically a description of conversion, of when we turn our lives over to the Lord and say, I can't do it, I don't have the strength or the ability, but I trust you and I give my life to you. And then the Spirit of Christ comes in and lives within us, and he begins to transform us from the inside out, rather than simply obeying external rules. And so as we go through this text this morning, realize it is possible for you, by the Spirit of God dwelling within you, if you've given your life to Christ, to love your neighbor, but also to love your enemies. So let's look at the text. The first part is really divided into two parts. The first part is kind of a negative perspective. It's a principle of, I guess we would call it, non-retaliation. Let me read verses 38 through 41, 42. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. From this text, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi, and others developed what we know as the principle of non-resistance. And it's based on the Old Testament statement in the book of Deuteronomy of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let me go back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, the end of the chapter, and just read the context of where that occurs. This is Matthew chapter 19, verse uh, uh, 16 and following. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in an office at the time. The judges must make a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, give false testimony against his brother. Then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. This is what was known as the lex talionis, or in other words, the law of the tooth. And it was designed not to create more violence, but to curb violence. It was designed to limit violence and retribution. It was given as a part of the Old Testament covenant law and was administered and was to be administered by the judges to assure that the punishment fit the crime. As we think about this, we need to guard against two distortions of this 
principle. First is that it was not to be applied uh, from a person's private perspective. It was designed to be used by the judge. And it was to keep the abuse uh, of personal uh, uh, vindication and self-serving. I grew up with three brothers. And, you know, brothers fight. You ever notice that? If you've got brothers, you've got boys in your family, you might know. My, my daughter obviously grew up with one sister, so she didn't experience boys. Now she's got two boys. And she discovered, you know, they, they get into tiffs. And they start pounding on one another. And as they start pounding on one another, you know, it can escalate. Well, my brothers and I had this little deal, you know. You hit me, okay? I get to hit you back. Well, we, you can only hit me as hard as I hit you. So they'd stand there and we, okay, now we're even. That's essentially what it was saying with the Lex Taliona, say, keeping things from getting out of hand. You, you do something like that in order to do it. Jesus says in this context that we are not to resist an evil person. There's a general sense today that as a Christian, we ought to stand up against evil. We ought to fight and you know, try to do what we can do to oppose evil. The big challenge, I think, is how do we do that? We need to understand that what will remove the teeth of evil and its power is not so much our ability and our power to oppose it by force, but our capacity to absorb it through love and compassion. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Cost of Discipleship, says this, the only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it's looking for. Resistance only creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames. But when evil meets no opposition and encounters no obstacles, but only patient endurance, its sting is withdrawn. And at last it meets an opponent, which is more than its match. Jim Edwards made a comment that when an enemy lowers you to be what they are, you are defeated. We respond to evil differently. When a Christian shows supernatural ability by the Spirit of God, not in our own strength, but by the Spirit of God, we have the ability to respond to evil in an extraordinary way. It does more than halt the spread of evil than we try, when we try to oppose it by force or even perhaps by legislation. The Bible says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't repay evil. Do not take revenge, my friends says, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. 
On the contrary, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will leap coals of fire on his head. Alfred Palmer says, To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is divine. And it takes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the divine Spirit within us to enable us to return good for evil. In verses 39 through 42, Jesus uses four mini illustrations that come right from the life that people would know. He says, we are to take transformative initiatives. We're not simply to re re refrain from violence, but we are to not simply comply with the commands, but we are to surprise our enemy or our oppressor by taking a transformational initiative which brings about reconciliation. He says, one, turn the other cheek. Uh, he's referring to the practice of backhanding someone, slapping in the, in the cheek as a cultural way of shunning them or embarrassing them. It was a way of assaulting somebody's dignity or honor. And Jesus is saying with this text and with this illustration, we must rid ourselves of the spirit of retaliation. If somebody shames us, assaults our dignity, we are not to respond in retaliation. It's easy for us to face this danger of defensiveness and wanting to somehow defend our reputation and uphold our reputation. But Jesus says, you let it go. You let it go. So the first mini illustration is turn the other cheek. The second illustration, he says, is you ought to lose your shirt. If we lose our shirt in a deal, we tend to be uh, develop the attitude, well, I'll never let that happen again. I'm willing to forgo my rights once, but not again. But Jesus says the attitude we have is to be generous with what we Third, he says, you go the extra mile, going beyond what is expected or required. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about taking transforming initiatives that bring about reconciliation. Going beyond what is required it was the practice in those days of soldiers who could require by law for a citizen to carry their goods for a period of about a mile. But Jesus says, when they do that, they're trying to take advantage of you, you go further. Then he says, be a lender. I can't simply say, what I have is mine. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He says, this is how we know that we, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can God's love be in them? Be a we have been given God's grace. We can be grace hoarders. 
or we can be grace givers because of the fact that God has expended His grace and His love toward us. We are called to be channels of that grace and that mercy to those who oppose us. So that's the negative side, verses 38 through 42. Now in verse 42, 43 and following, he shifts and looks at it from a positive angle. Let's read the text, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, talks about the fact that when we were enemies, Christ died for us. If we are to love our enemies, we are doing no more than what Jesus has done for us when we were enemies. In Jesus' day, there was a lot of discussion about who the neighbor was. Who was the neighbor to be and he told the story, obviously, of the, uh, the uh, Good Samaritan as a way of answering that. And it was basically whoever was in need. We are, the we are to be responsible for those who are an enemy. So he de describes what we are to do in response and as a clear uh, expression of love. Here's how you extend love to your enemies. He says, you pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you look at the, uh, the text in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6 and following, you'll find that Luke adds other elements to how we respond. Let me read from Luke chapter uh, 6, verses 27 and following. But I tell you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And then he gives these e expressions of how we respond. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if someone strikes you on the cheek, and then he goes on to what we've just looked at in the Gospel of Matthew. So he says that we are to focus on three action steps. First, do good to those who hate you. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat. Then he says, bless those who curse you. What do we say about those who oppose us? And then finally, pray for those who persecute you. This is a prayer of intercession. Oswald Chambers describes intercessory prayer this way. He says, in intercession, you bring the person or the circumstance that impinges on you before God until you are moved by his attitude toward that person or circumstance. One of the early church fathers said, only prayer that God allows us to pray for myself is the prayer that I am willing to pray for my enemies. 
George Buttrick in his book on prayer suggests that we begin our prayers by praying for our enemies. The first intercession, he says, is to bless so-and-so whom I have wronged. Keep them in your favor and banish my bitterness. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, the practical problem of loving our enemies in prayer is that it's very hard work. When you pray for Hitler or Stalin, how you actually teach yourself to make that how do you actually teach yourself to make that prayer real? Two things that help, said C.S. Lewis. First, a continual grasp of the idea that the one is only joining his feeble voice to a perpetual intercession that Christ is made who died for these men. If we align ourselves with Christ and understand that Christ is interceding on behalf of these, and we are simply joining the Lord Jesus in that prayer. And then be a recollection as firmly as I can make it of all the cruelty which I have blossomed under different conditions in my life had the circumstances been different. You and I at the bottom, says C.S. Lewis, are not so different from our enemies. We are them. We've met the enemy and it's us. Then he talks about a pattern that ought to be imitated. He says in the text, he causes the sun to rise. He talks about the Lord and he says, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And Jesus calls us to imitate our Heavenly Father with unconditional love like our Heavenly Father. If we are children of the Father, children of the Heavenly Father, then his character ought to be reflected in us. God demonstrates his love and his mercy toward everyone. Sends his rain, both on the good and the bad. And sons, children of God, ought to reflect the character of their father. We ought to be just like our dad. He says that you may be sons of your father in heaven. The cross is the only justification for nonviolence. For it alone can kindle the faith in victory of love over evil. In other words, we draw our strength from the love of Christ demonstrated to us on the cross. And we draw our strength to love our enemies from the fact that God loved us. Peter writes this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's the core which drives us. And it goes back to what I said in the very beginning. Jesus is our Savior. And because he has saved us and poured out his love upon us while we were yet his enemy, we now respond to others in a Christ-like way. Then he makes one other statement to argue his case. He says, if you just love your friends, if you just love your neighbors, and if you do not love your enemies, uh, what more are you doing than the pagans do? What more are you doing than others? 
there's a neat key word here, which is uh, the word extraordinary. In other words, as Christians, our love ought to be extraordinary. It ought to be unique. It ought to be different from others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, here we meet the word that controls the entire chapter. It's the same word that Matthew uses when he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, he's saying that it is the, the, the inner abundance that makes it extraordinary. A week or so ago, we talked about the different kinds of righteousness, the righteousness of the law, and then a new kind of righteousness. And it's that new kind of righteousness which he is talking about here, which is better or more than that which comes from the pagans. He concludes this text with an interesting statement. He says in verse 48, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Remember, as he said earlier on in chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. He's talking about this new kind of righteousness. It's the love of Christ for us on the cross that perfects his followers and gives them the capacity to love. The perfect are none other than those who've been blessed by God as we've seen in the Beatitudes. There's a contrast between the relationship of love for a, as a natural man and the one who has the Spirit of Christ indwelling them. And maybe the best way to understand it is to see the difference as the difference like somebody who paints by numbers and a skilled artist. Both produce a picture, but you know the difference. The Christian can never be fully explained in natural terms. It is the Spirit of Christ making us able to love our enemy. It's, it's not possible in our natural self, but it is possible by the Spirit of God as we yield to the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit of God to engender that kind of love within us. Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. What do you think that would do to our community if everybody at Grace Point responded to criticism, responded to insults, uh, in a way in which the Spirit of God enabled us, rather than quenching the Spirit and living in our own natural kind of way? That's what God wants. That's what Jesus wants. And this is not an ideal that's unattainable. Will we fail? Oh, yeah. All along the way. We'll never be perfect in that until we reach heaven. That's why we've got the Lord's table this morning. It fits. Because, yes, Jesus calls us to love our enemies, but let me tell you, probably every week we somehow or another miss it. But he's not only the one who instructs us how to live, he gives us the capacity to live by his spirit. And he gave his life on the cross to forgive us when we've messed it up. And so that's why we come to the Lord's table this morning, to celebrate what God has done, not only in giving us instructions, but giving us his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy that are new every morning. But we work at it. 
We'll keep working at being loving to our enemies. We'll keep working on that. And as God continues to work in our hearts, we'll grow and we transform and be able to ex- extend a, a transforming initiative that brings about reconciliation in our world. Let's pray, and then we're going to participate together in the Lord's table. Father, we give you thanks this morning because you have offered to us yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. And we pray, Father, that as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, we might be reminded that you love us, you forgive us, you offer us a fresh start, and we can claim that this morning in Christ's name. Amen.